This is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Discontent. Caden and Kevin from Reaching Out. Andrew and David from Killing Me. And a young man named Little Alex put together an ass beater of a fucking hardcore band. I know they got the 808s and the heavy moss shit, but that thing is fucking something. And already people are happy. Uh, Dylan... Waza blah 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 Blasky, who is uh, shackled and take down records and big help, but this is hardcore. He does take down records. He sent this over to me. I'm really happy to see young bands jump into the mix, start new bands. This is a super band. The track is DFTL. I have no idea what that fucking means, but go out, check them out, support. Everybody involved from reaching out to Killing Me to take down records and Little Alex. And awesome to see younger bands constantly in their next iteration. This is one of the things I said about local bands is you might not like the first band. Or you may think the first band's all right. It's always that second or third band that hits like a fucking monster truck. And I really do think this discontent is the fucking monster truck that's going to see these bands, see this specific band go a lot further. So... Thanks for giving us an awesome track to play. So we got a bunch of shows. If you are traveling, Codes World sold out. So hopefully you get your ticket. Because that's maybe some shit online where people are like, hey, yo, I bought a ticket, but I, I can't fly from Saskatchewan. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this shit's filled out. Big shout out to Code. Um, Jamie was just on the podcast recently. The band is kicking ass and they put on an amazing festival at... The Preserving Hardcore Underground in Pittsburgh. So hopefully everybody has a good time traveling out there. Next weekend is the coldest life weekend. Some wild shit. This Stucky it has a show, I think the 7th. Or no, it was the 8th, the Sunday. Maybe he has two shows, for all I know. Um, yeah, He has a uh, choice to make, world life, last man out, and no quarter given, and... I think this says Seismic Toss. This is at Bonks Bar the day after. If you're crazy enough to drive from Detroit to Philly, check this out. And then the weekend after starts just this absolute chaos in our world. Friday the 13th, we got All Out War. All Out War is celebrating 25 years. 25 fucking years of For Those Who Were Crucified, which is an absolutely incredible record. Uh, they're bringing their friends Tomb and Funeral Reach. The PA Delaware Connection continues with the Strength for Reason and Simulacra. 
This is back at the Polish Club, Friday the 13th. Get your tickets at Philly HC Shows. The following day, this Greg, Takedown Records, got the Salty's Bar in Lake Como, New Jersey. And this thing is going to be absolutely fucking awesome. There's a matinee, uh, Tsunami, Suburban Scum, Regulate, Sworn Enemy, Scarab, and Odiame. Um, absolutely fucking fantastic show. Uh, we have the Monday after is Ringworm, Freight Train and Conduit at Broken Gauntlet in Ben Salem. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. The craziest run of band, or run of shows, rather, is October 27th, Blacklisted, Unbroken, Sold Out at the church. Then you have the 28th, the Saturday, is Unbroken, Blacklisted, that's sold out. Then you got Harm's Way and Fleshwater at the church that Sunday, as well as um, Dark Buster, Noise, Vulture Raid, and Hard Turf at the Broken Gauntlet that Sunday. I mean, we're going, we're going fucking hard here. We got November 4th. We talked about it a couple times. Pain of Truth, Life's Questions, Vomit 4th, Koyo, Balmara, uh, Nomad, and Adrian. All on a show November 4th at the Phoenixville. It's going to be fucking absolutely sick. Tons of shit. Make sure you're supporting Philly HD shows on Instagram, on Twitter, website, the whole nine yards. Uh, going to keep this one, try to keep it somewhat succinct. Don't need to keep doing these solo episodes where I'm just yipping and yabbing and just blathering for the sake of hearing my own voice. And actually to the point now where I'm thinking about, should I get enough in interviews in one deck? We maybe drop interviews on Friday and maybe like every other Monday or whatever. I do like a short 20 minute, 25 minute John or whatever Twitter's mad at this weekend kind of deal. I don't know. And ruminating my mind on this one, not set in stone, but wouldn't, wouldn't kill us. Some people said they liked the short episodes. They liked the chit chat. They liked the... The too much talking. Me, I like going back and forth and hearing someone's stories, but I'll take any of the support I can get. I love the people that write to me every week. Thank you for doing so. Today's, not even like a kerfluffle. Not even like, oh my God, what are we going to do? It's the end of the world. But it, it's it's pertinent to conversations that I've had on this show and and. and you know, episode 104 was Live Nation versus US, uh, the U.S. Conjures. I mean, just recently, 132, dealing with the devil. We talked a lot about this merch cut stuff and the the head-to-head match of all this just popped up this week when Live Nation decides to drop their merch fees through this amazing thing that they're going to try to pull the wool over the people's heads. And I, I, I got to say that there's a reason why for thousands of years people have said, uh, beware of Greeks bearing gifts. And it plays heavily into all this. Never, never trust somebody who is giving you something for free, especially when they own a monopoly on an entire industry. So what had happened was Willie Nelson got involved and provided his song on the road again as the anthem for this 
program, which is running from right now through till January. January 1 ends. Live Nation will give a stipend of $1,500 between gas and travel cash per show to all headliners and support acts on top of whatever they're supposed to get paid. Now, mind you, this is at the club level. Club level is anything, (laughs) this is crazy, like anything smaller than 3,000. And, you know, we've talked enough about Live Nation, enough on here that for those of you that don't really grasp it, I'm going to go into it really quickly. Live Nation is the world's largest concert promoter. In America alone, they constantly are fighting off uh, charges of a monopoly in the U.S. Congress, which is basically the (laughs) way of saying that they are creating a scenario where there's not any possible competition. They own venues. They own Ticketmaster, which then sells to not only their own venues, but all the major venues. They own a huge amount of marketing uh, they own billboard companies. They own management companies that own, or not own, but work with bands. And all they fucking need to do now is open up their own fucking hot dog stand. It's it's getting out of control. And, and where this is important to us is because we have our bands who are constantly growing. And they're moving up. And, and uh, again, back to episode 132, dealing with the devil. If your position is that you're trying to grow your band and be a band that has underground connections but you're trying to go big time i don't blame you you know he town said it best time to shine trying to get mine and that's how it's going to be you're going to go out there and go after it you're going to have to swim in a lot darker and rougher waters than it is working with independent venues independent promoters and the lockdown that is something like live nation has not on the band and this is the bizarre thing Sometimes it's on the bands when the bands don't have access to a manager or a booking agent. But then the irony is, because they're all in the same quote-unquote industry, the agent and the manager, they may use your band to gain more access and connection with the company. So, you know, their job is to protect you, but... Let's play within the system where the people we're dealing with, they hold all the real big cards. Doesn't sound exactly even to me, but that's how people come up in this world. For me, I look at things and I understand that there are people that grew up listening to one kind of music and then end up finding our music and they write all this amazing shit about how much this whole thing means to them and how important it is. And then they once a week come up with some nonsense and write like... When I was growing up, this record that's super rare and they probably never really heard or don't own a physical copy of meant the entire world to me and it changed my entire position on earth. And then five minutes later, you see that they're playing Coachella or some goofy shit that has nothing to do with hardcore. And it's kind of like trying to walk two dogs with one leash. And that's a little tangent I'm going off on. But what I'm getting at is there are bands who are endearing themselves within the underground because they want to have the credibility, they want to have the connection, they want to keep the resources, but the sky's the limit. Actually, I don't fault any band who is popular enough to have growth, especially organic growth, or even the you know the kind that we're seeing now that's tons of paid publicity, tons of people knowing people, and 
you know, working the system to promulgate and push some names bigger than other names. And, and that's just how the fucking thing works. But for a while, we've talked about merch cuts on the show because it's always up on Twitter. So the first thing to go over is that this is a big, giant corporation. Lots of lots of properties, lots of all this. And one of the key things why I say properties is when you're the owner of the venue and you're a corporate thing and you're the owner of the tickets and you're the owner of all these different aspects, you control a lot more of the profits. So let's say like a Joe Hardcore Bob Wilson show. Well, if it's a church, we're renting the hall out. So we're spending money to hall. We're getting none of the bar back. We might use our ticketing or their, you know, our ticketing, but we're not putting points or fees, anything extra. Whatever, whatever the ticketing agent charges us to process the ticket purchase that you make, that's the fee. But when you're a venue owner, you can add these things like FMF, FMF, which is like, you know, I think it's uh, maintenance fees for the venue and all this stuff. And there's different things of that. But it just basically comes down to the independent smaller rooms are smaller. And that's a huge part of this industry in the music world. And they even say it, in fact. That's one of the crazy things. Like someone like, hey, we're doing the right thing. And this is the this is the thing that kind of like you know it's like the the big the big bad wolf trying to be nice. Touring is important to the artists, so whatever we can do to help other artists, I think we should do it. This program will impact thousands of artists this year, and will help making tour a little bit easier. That's from Willie, Willie Nelson. And then they go to this part. Touring is a crucial part of an artist's livelihood, and we understand travel costs take one of the biggest bites out of the artist's nightly profits. By helping these core expenses, we aim to make it easier for artists on the road so they can keep performing to their fans in more cities across the country. So, here it goes. On the road again also includes financial bonuses to local promoters that help execute at shows, as well as tour reps and venue crew that work over 500 hours in 2023. Also includes a $5 million to Crew Nation, a fund created during the pandemic to support crew across the industry facing unforeseen hardship. And this is what he says. The live nation, the live music industry is continuing to grow. And as it does, we want to do everything again to support artists at all levels on their touring journey, especially developing artists in the clubs. Like Willie says, this is all about making it a little easier for the thousands of artists to continue doing what they love, going out and playing for their fans. So, I mean, they're clearly targeting smaller bands on their way up and saying, hey, let us help you out. Maybe one day we can work together when you get a little bit bigger. And that's kind of like the shady thing. And I'm not the only one who thinks this. The uh, During the pandemic, there was a lot of co- places that were ready to close. And sadly, a bunch of places did close. And what had happened was the, a bunch of people came together and created their own venue group the National Independent Venue Association. And their whole point was to help get money to do what they call the SVOG, Sheltered Venues uh, Grant, to help keep these venues going. And so what Neva says is, uh, 
Live Nation is touting the initiative, which more than 70 of the company's clubs across the U.S. and Canada will forego their cuts of artist merch proceeds and provide artists with a 1500 stipend per show through the end of 2023, a move that will help developing acts earn real money on tour. But Neva calling the policy a calculated effort to squeeze independent venues and already reeling from the effects of code out of business entirely. Temporary measures may appear to help artists in the short run, but will actually squeeze out the independent venues, which is, is, provides a livelihood of many of the artists in thin margins. Independent venues and promoters are investing in and elevating up and coming artists every day, and Neva supporting those efforts nationally. The initiative announced yesterday may seem like a move to follow the lead of some independent venues. It is not that. Instead, it is appears to calculate attempt to use publicly traded conglomerates' immeasurable resources to revert artists from the independent venues and further consolidate control over the live entertainment sector. Such tactics threaten the vitality of small and medium-sized venues under 3,000 capacity. Many still struggle to keep their doors open. More on that later. Independent stages where a majority of the artists, musicians, comedians get their start careers are small businesses and nonprofits. They continually face raising costs, increased deceptive ticketing practice in the resale market, and ongoing challenges following the global pandemic. Our stages are critical to the live entertainment ecosystems and local economies, and they must survive. The economics of touring must drastically improve for artists and independent venues. There needs to be a better way. Neva will continue to support artists and empower independent venues as we collectively find it. And then they said, and they asked the company executive vice president of corporate and regulatory affairs, Dan Wall, artists are asking for support. On the Road Again is about supporting artists. Neva members are perfectly capable of providing similar benefits and many already do. And that's really the trade-off. See, because what happens here is, as as the the things point out, is early in a career you're just trying to get in the room, just trying to get in the room. And yeah, there's giant, there's the Madonnas and all these huge, as the car crookers love saying, legacy acts. But but let's like really get down to it. There's not that many Taylor Swifts. There's a couple, maybe, but not that many. And as the largest, I mean, you want to talk about the old school shit that I still say like. The kiss is done now for the millionth time. Uh, I don't know how many more, if ever, ACDC is going to still do shit. You know, these giant rock acts, aside from Iron Maiden, who's going to live forever, I don't know how many of them are still going to roll. So these giant stadium things need to have new people come on. And in the middle is this, when the 3,000 rooms are too, too small for these growing artists, this is where the Live Nation stuff really kicks in because they own a giant portion of the rooms that are available at this size. So well, their thought process plausibly is that, hey, if while you're coming up in one of our smaller rooms, we give you a little bit of hand, maybe you'll remember us on that next tour when you're growing that, you know, we were the ones that kicked that money back to you so you can go on. Now, I would say that I don't have the information to validate this, but most tours are booked months and months out. So it must have been quietly either between the agent, maybe it was never talked about. Maybe this is just something they dropped on people. I, I, I'm still waiting for a couple people to say yes or no if this was dropped or everyone knew. But from 
right now, September, all the way through till January, the beginning of January, it's a really big time for touring, especially after the pandemic. So this Live Nation thing, yeah, it's going to benefit a lot of bands in some ways. But it also could be the burgeoning of Live Nation going back to the agent, the manager of the band, and going, hey, when you came through here last time, we kind of hooked you up. We were hoping you'd come back to our next room since we've got a good history together. That's a huge factor in why the bigger entities get involved at the smaller level because they don't want to see people like R5, Sean Agnew, who's booked every big band and, you know, still has great relationships with a lot of them. But, you know, as bands grow and venues aren't there, sometimes Agnew doesn't get put on for the bigger stuff. Sometimes he does. But, you know, you got the the local level, the, the Philly hardcore show level. Some of these bands grow. Some of these don't. You don't see me going, you know, we did Turnstile back in the day. We don't do them anymore. I don't have a fucking way to do Turnstile. And I'm just happy to see them grow. Good for them. Less nonsense. But for me, it's a little different. I look at this and I see Live Nation trying to get their hooks in. That's my perspective. You know, hey, let's let's butter these people up. Hey, we're not going to give you a merch cut. Hey, we're going to give you extra money. You know, large corporations don't just throw out money. So I have a problem with this. And I, and I stick with Neva in saying that the that you're never going to win and get huge. I don't say never. You're most likely never going to just be like Oliver Anthony. You drop a song from singing into a microphone on your telephone and immediately you're the biggest artist with a track at the top of a billboard chart on an iPhone. It's so hard to do that. It's much it's much more common that you work your ass off at the local level, build up some kind of rapport with the regional area, maybe get picked up by the management, or maybe you go with the booking agent route, or maybe you do it yourself for a long time, and then you need to find someone when the shit starts just falling in on you and you don't have control of it anymore. But then when that comes... You're not your hands not on the steering wheel anymore, and someone else is there. And the person who's got the steering wheel, yeah, you trust them. They're going to get you the money. They're going to get you the show. They're going to drive that thing up the hill so that way you can make your living and live your dream. But along the way, that's what the deal with the devil comes back into play here. And that's where these Greeks, given these gifts, we got to think about this. Why would someone just give you fifteen hundred dollars? When for decades, they've treated local independent venues like the enemy, treating different, quote I'm using their terms, quote-unquote markets, and treating it like Starbucks, where they just drop venues or buy, buy rooms out, put their branding on them for the control's sake, and push out the bands, or push out the people and push out the the rooms that ex- existed in that local area zeitgeist for years. You know? R.I.P. Troc. R.I.P. the TLA, since they call it the, the Fillmore at TLA. You know? Oh, they can't, Live Nation can't do shows at the Electric Factory? Fine, we'll just build an entire building that looks exactly like the Electric Factory, just a little bit bigger. 
oh, well, then we'll let this, oh, COVID happens and this bowling alley falls apart. Now we'll just have a bowling alley venue next to our giant venue. And these are the things that just happened just in Philadelphia. And listen, I know people who work at Live Nation and go make your money, do your thing. But, you know, uh, <laughs> if we're using a Star Wars reference, they're the fucking empire here. And I, I can say that I am speaking from someone who would rather get up and pour concrete every day than be in a van, show up at one o'clock in the afternoon, dick around in a town, play, have people bother me about getting on a guest list, sit around and do nothing, and then go to the next show. That's not what I, I did it for many years, not at anywhere good, like a high level, but enough of a level to go. Yeah, even if I made a bunch of money, I'm I'm bored. This isn't what I want to do. So I look at this like from the organic, hardcore kid, underground, spirit of DIY. It's the connections with the people. It's, for me, a different thing. So my perspective is really fucking jaded. And, and that needs to be said. There's no right or wrong here. And the people who are in hardcore bands now, then, and future... You're gonna you're gonna make these choices back and forth, and in some points that like we talk about, when you're not being in the driver's seat. You're going to have to go the way that your team is driving you to push forward, and that's just what how it works. So I think that this Live Nation thing is really a combination of the opportunity to get good social media optics, since a lot of people are realizing that this merch cut thing really does constantly pan out and empty its guts all over Twitter. Maybe they got some lucrative deal with somebody to subsidize. I mean, they make enough money. They could actually really do pay every single band that much. Now they could, couldn't do it for the rest of their career, but they could do it long enough and they do, they have enough tactics and they have enough assets, resources and things like that, that they could do it long enough to really, buy out a lot of things but I would say this is more for optics more this is more for they can't rebrand and they're still always going to be the empire but maybe you know they're doing this because they're trying to help out the little guy and I, I don't know I'm lucky that I pour concrete I'm lucky that I have a union that delegates and they do the contract so I don't have to deal with this on my end I have friends who work in Live Nation and work in Live Nation clubs and I have friends who work for Bowery AEG and I have friends who do shows out of houses and basements and halls and would rather shit in their own mouth than deal with the massive amounts of headache that come here with the bureaucracy of anything corporate. So I would suggest that as your bands are growing or maybe as things pick up, if you are not all on the same page as a man, you decide like, hey, what direction do we want to go? Or, you know, play it by ear. A lot of this stuff comes, you know, years of grinding, never making it. And that's the thing I can't, I can't, I can't even say anything negative about a lot of the older hardcore bands or as a kid say Legacy Act because they were playing and doing this shit before anybody else. And before there was an idea, I mean, the you know, guarantees have always been there, but I mean... If you look at this uh, long time ago posted thing about what the Sex Pistols actually got paid playing in California, you can see they were getting fucking ripped up, you know? Um, 
you could see that peop- the bands weren't being treated fairly even back then. And we've talked about that on a lot of different episodes with a bunch of different booking agents, managers, and all this stuff. So you always just listen to every single episode up until now and you'll have a better idea because I want to keep this shorter. But I think that the older people, the bands like the Suicidals and all, you know, they're they're living they're living great now. People love them again. People are checking them out. They get to do these cool-ass shows with Judge and H2O and young kids get to check that out. Maybe that'll get them to listen to cooler music. But... They, they they did their work. They played the fucked up clubs. They played the, the brawls. They played the shit where they didn't even know if they were going to get paid. So they're allowed to get away with this stuff. But as your band is growing, things are going to change for you. And you just got to walk with what you feel or what you want. Feel or want. You feel like you want to be a man of the people and the DIY spirit. Then, you know... This merch cut shit and these barricades and all this other stuff might not be for you. Or you may like to get acknowledged as a person in a band. And I think that's really where I was going to end with this. It's a lot to throw away being the cool guy in a band on the internet. And people you never knew write to you and tell you these things like, I named my dog after you and, uh, you know, without your record that you actually didn't play on, I might have killed myself last night. Like, there's all these crazy ways that people on the internet splice themselves into your world and try to endear themselves to you by saying these crazy things. And if you're kind of a nerd like most people who play music are, you might like it. You might like it enough that you don't want to deal with the bullshit of every couple years some new up-the-punks Fuck you, dude, tells you you're a sellout and a loser and your last record sucks. So you go the fan route. Because the big metal world, the bigger venue world, it's all fans. They don't know you, they love you. They think you're in a band, they want they, they want you to sign their ass. They want everything. Give me a piece of your hair. Let me get a guitar pick. They just want shtick. They want that. They want these things to take home. Hey, I got this guy's fucking hair and his pick and he, he, he wrote his name on my ass. If you're in the night, good for you. Me... I'm not really with it. I don't trust people who have billions of dollars and spend lots of their money to eliminate the competition by just buying out the possibility that they could even compete. I have a lot of problems looking at my own city of Philadelphia and everywhere I go, these new buildings are going on top of things. And I I don't like it. I thought I don't like change. I don't like what the new shit really is. New shit don't have the same character. So, play it by ear. Who knows what Live Nation's really up to. I kind of feel like Neva's got a point. They're going to endear themselves to these smaller bands. And then people but like, no, Live Nation's great. You know, they didn't even charge us merch cuts when we did our last tour. And then when they go back, they're like, oh, fuck, they're charging merch cuts again. The remainder of this episode, I gotta say something because it's it's choking me out. That's so why I, I recorded some of this yesterday and then realized that in this whole time, I never really did this. But uh, so 20 years ago, Punishment did a U.S. tour. And it was absolutely fucking fantastic. And 
for all the the chaos and crazy reasons. And now that Siv's got a roadie book, I really don't want to spill all my book beans in case I ever, like, 10 years from now when I write books. But we had a really great time. Chaos, fun, shenanigans. We were, I was the oldest at 23. Actually, no, Damien was 23. We were both 23. And everybody else in the band was, like, 16 and 17. And then we had Stoney on the road, and we got to play with Ringworm for a summer. It was fucking fantastic. Um, I almost did an episode about this thing about AFI and the leaving song part two and get a bunch of people on and talk about the moshing thing. But I just got stuck in not being able to let go of Dan Stone, Stoney, and the little intricate things that he did throughout the trip. Because he was one of the guys who came from Philly with us. So we go. I'll give you a really short version so I can keep my book and I can keep another episode on file. And you're like, I just heard this already. Long story short, we get we get asked to and flown to California to mosh in this video. And it's a bunch of the goons from the neighborhood who are hard moshers and complete psychopaths. Especially since I think only four of them. We might be part of the four or five that were actually over 21 and at the end of it we all go home it's a good time friday night we used to always go hang out night obviously straight edge but you know we live in the neighborhood so sometimes we go hang out i would hang outside the bar and hang out with everybody if we didn't have shows to go to and stoney was like yo are you going out tonight now nah, i'm gonna stay in. i'm gonna see my girl the other thing we used to do is saturday afternoon we would go to jay's house and we would play fifa soccer and so this Saturday, Stoney comes to my house, and he's like, yo, uh, you weren't out last night. I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, yo, man, this guy at the bar, he he got this fucking this PlayStation 2, man. I'm like, oh, that's what's up. He's like, yeah, so I got it. I'm like, yo, let's play. So we go up in my room. We play this sport, a FIFA game. And and like an hour or two pass. He's like, yo, I got to bust out, but yo, uh, why don't you hold on to this? I'm like, dude, I don't want this shit, man. Like, it's cool you brought it over. I don't need this. And he's like, all right, man, here. Because we got paid a little bit of money. Not $1,000 and not $5 and not that much. But all the guys got paid who from Philly and whatever. He's like, look, uh, we all kind of put money in and we bought you this game and this PlayStation 2 for bringing us out to this. And that was one of the nicest things one of my friends has ever done for me in my life. And that was in May of 03. And we do this tour. And we have a problem. The van gets on fire. My girlfriend at the time convinces the drummer of the band to his mother to loan her van to go get us. So it is the my ex, my friend Matt, who was in Horror Show, and one of my other bands. He's an excellent black belt, play, uh, nine, um, 10 Planet Jiu-Jitsu owner out in Southern California now, Matt Dempsey, and our friend Josh Shirley, who also passed. This is a crazy story because three different people in this story are dead now. And they drive from Philadelphia to California, they pick us up. 
And we drive home all the way across the country. And we get home right around Labor Day. And it's a great thing. I get asked to do some shit. And we don't even really, we do one more punishment tour after that. And Stoney ends up uh, starting to, he was already kind of involved with cooking, but he really started taking the cooking up a level. And I ended up in Shattered Realm the following year, and we all get to hang out at this Hellfest. And, you know, we're starting to tour, so it's getting a little bit more chaotic between work and, you know, the kids and fucking shows and all this stuff. And I'm not seeing Stoney as much, and he's busy. And Shattered Realm goes on this other tour, and we get kicked out of Canada. This is a short way to say it. We drive home. And the day I get home, I get home like late at night. And that morning I get a phone call that Stoney died. From Nikki from Nothing and Horror Show and Victory Strike and all that stuff. And that was, you know, 18 years ago, man. Right? 23, 25, yeah, 18 years ago. <laughs> This is the kind of guy who, super good looking, coolest motherfucker, way cooler than Austin from Boston or Zach Barone or all these dudes, smarter, better at soccer, still did the cool cigarette out of his mouth thing, could outdrink these dudes, you know, could fight, go into a, a college party, knew all the, knew all the right people, always had the bitches, <laughs> such a weird eulogy, right? One time he said, hey, yo, come to this party. I come to this party. And his cousin is homies with Vinny Paz. And it's the first time not at, at something else that me and Vinny just hang in this room and just talk because Stoney's there. And he like, oh, Link is like this fucking crazy mutual link. He's like, the, it's Tom from MySpace and Stoney are the two dudes that the whole world is linked to. And I just think about like, this is a short time in my life. I'm 43 now. So I have from the time I was 16 till the time I was 25. Nine years. I was 43. So if you did the quick math, <laughs> you know, you want to be quick with your math. You know, most of my life, I didn't have Dan Stone in it. But those years were great. And... He never did the record, John. He never did a band. He was always everyone's friend. Funniest dude. Best guy. And my sister made this post, and it choked me up right before I recorded this. So if you got a friend, and he's the coolest ever, and he's not in a band, he may die one day, and only the real homies or the people that ran into him will know how much the sun shined out his ass. And how much... Little things like seeing your homies matter when you don't have that person in your life anymore. I'm going to get on this thing and talk about some fucking Live Nation shit and merch cuts and bus balls. But for all you young people out here doing these new bands and traveling and, and making this shit real. You're sitting next to people that are going to die. And you're not going to think about that in the process. But you're going to be 40 in these couple years that you lived with this people 
and the laughs and the stupid shit and the stupid fights and the earnestness and the little things. You're going to see people that you think are your best friends and they fail. And you're going to see people that part of the big friend group, but they do something special and it just may hit you over the top because you're, you were not even expecting it. And it's just for the younger people, be happy with the time that you have. And for those who knew Stoney, you know everything I'm saying is legit. I don't have to, I'm not capping at him in any way. This is all legit. I love him and I miss him. And I just want to say that the world really does lose some glimmer and some fucking light as the people in your life who just shined fade away. So be happy with what you have now because it's not always going to be there. It's a fucking wild end of this fucking podcast. All right. T-I-H-E-Podcast.com. Phillyhcshows.com. And take care.